Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the word of the Lord. As I've said, God speaks to us in the Old Testament in promises, like last week, and in pictures. And the way to to better understand the Old Testament, and I think we do need the Old Testament, I, I don't think there's any place for saying I'm a God of the New Testament, not of the Old. Um, you, will, you will not be all that you should be as you follow Christ, except you begin to see how they come together. And one of the things that the New Testament tells us about the promises and pictures, particularly the promises of the Old Testament, is that all of those promises are yes in Christ. And so he is the fulfillment of all of those promises. Maybe there are times when you read in the Old Testament and, and you don't understand. I think it helps us to look back through the lens of the new, through the lens of the cross to the Old Testament. I shared in my Sunday school class this morning how different it must have been. We just can't fully put ourselves into the context of Old Testament saints, uh, particularly, as we said this morning, the, the writer of Psalm 1 or David when he cried out for forgiveness and humbled himself and cried out that he'd sinned against God. He he knew God was a merciful God and and was banking on the fact that God was merciful in the midst of his humility. Um, he, he, in an Old Testament sense, must have known that God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, that promise, though I don't, I don't, he didn't have it as we have it in the new, but somehow he knew God was merciful, but he didn't understand how it was all going to work. And so there had to be something in the midst of all of that that was, was agonizing in ways that it does not have to be agonizing for us. Because we understand the whole picture, the whole story of how God can be merciful. We don't have to just hope in mercy, but we begin to see the underpinnings of what that mercy rests on, the work of Christ. And so it's incredibly important that we keep that in mind. The text of the New Testament says all of the promises are yes in Christ. Uh, They're fulfilled in him. Now last week, let's just for a moment go back, and I I would encourage you, if you didn't hear last week's message as we began Advent, I was away, Pastor Jason masterfully took that Old Testament prophecy in of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 11, the one that I read portion of it to you this morning, in verse 1 it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a shoot, there shall come life from that dead stump of Jesse, and and that is symbolic and a promise of the fact that through the line of Jesse, there will be a king on the throne forever one day. That that line will always produce a king. And ultimately, the king that we know that it produced was Jesus. 
There were a series of kings. Remember David was raised up to be a king after I said Saul's line ended. Saul, people wanted a king. They cried out for a king. Um, as Don Carson said in my Sunday school class, probably for for motives that weren't all pure and much of those motives were not. There was a motive. They wanted to be like the rest of the nations and they wanted to have a king on the throne. They had judges before that, but they wanted a king. They wanted to be like everybody else. That was their downfall. They wanted to be like everybody else. And so he gave them Saul. But Saul started out well, but he didn't end well. And at the end of Saul, his son did not take over the throne. It ended But then God raised up another king, another king, which again is a picture in many ways of the ultimate king that's to come, but still a flawed king, a better king than Saul, much better, but yet still flawed, not the perfect one, not the end, but out of his line, out of his lineage, God promised to send a king. And so there were king after king after king in Israel out of the line, out of the shoot that came out of the stump of Jesse, kings on the throne. Some of those kings were good. Most of the times they were very bad. And and it got worse and worse for the people of Israel. The king has got, got worse and worse that were raised up. And to the point where the Eventually, the nation divided. Eventually, they were conquered and they were divided. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Again, a king continued for a while on the throne of one of those split kingdoms. But ultimately, they were taken over. Ultimately, they were all sent into exile. Ultimately, they were scattered. And for hundreds of years, there was no king in Israel on the throne. Until some 2,000 years ago, when the one to which all of that was pointing came, the, the, the true king, the king to which it was all pointing toward. This king was a good king. He was a righteous king. Listen to, to what it says about this king. You heard it last week, but it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked." And then it says this, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. It's a description of Jesus. It's a description of the one whom all the promises rest in, him. It's a description of ultimately where that shoot was going to take the line of Jesse to Jesus. A king who would be on the throne forever. His kingdom would never end. And will never end. That was the promise that we heard about last week. 
And it's good for us to hear those promises. It's important for us to hear those promises. It's important for us to get both the Old and the New Testament together. Now, let me make an application here, and then we're going to move on to our text. Why is it so important? Why Why can we not be people who say, I, I like the Old, New Testament, I don't like the Old Testament? There have been people who will say at times, I, I like the God of the New Testament, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. You can't do that. They're not two different gods. They're the same God, one God. We can't, we can't neglect the Old Testament. We can't. We must have it. We must have it, both of them together. And the reason is, is because, and, and stay with me here if you can for a minute, we, we have to have both because there's the full revelation of God in those testaments. In the Old Testaments, we, 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 Sense And sometimes the reason people say, I like the God of the new but not the old is because there's something about the God of the Old Testament. There's a kind of transcendence that is portrayed about this God and an otherliness about this God, a, a, a majestic holiness about this God. And, and uh, it, it can make us uncomfortable to, to see that side of him because of our sin. But then we, we see the God of the New Testament which is the same God, but in that portrayal of God, we, we see not the transcendence, not the otherliness of God, as much as we see the eminence of that God. And by eminence, I mean the fact that he drew near to us. This transcendent God of the Old Testament drew near. The eminence, the incarnation, that this God took the form of a man, continued to be fully God, but took on being fully man. He drew near to us. That's what Christmas is all about, that this transcendent God drew near to us. And and this is the point I want to make with this, and there's many points that could be made, but we need all of that revelation of God. We need it all. We need We need the whole story of who God is. Because that's the God we follow. That's the God we embrace. And if you don't have it, this is the kind of thing that can happen. As text last week, if you, if you, if you didn't have the, the, the eminence of God, you, you hear words like this king that is coming, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Words like righteousness jump out and you think of this transcendent holy God and, and I hope what you think about is, I'm not there. I'm, I'm, I'm a sinful man. And, and you read words like righteousness, and, and there should be, to one degree, a sense of that separation and that, that distance. And, and that's the way it should be. The transcendent God is holy. He's all of that. But he's also a God who's drawn near. And he's made a way to have a relationship with him. You, you see, you need both. You need the righteousness of God and the eminence of God, the incarnation that he's come drawn near. Because if you don't have both, if you have only the transcendence of God, of all you hear is righteousness, you will cower, you will run away. And, and in, rightfully so. It is, it is a scary thing if all you have is the raw righteousness of God and his holiness and your sin. There should be a place at which you cower, in which you, you duck, 
for cover. And opposite of that, if all you have is the eminence of God, that he's drawn near, if if you don't have the transcendence of him, then then you get too chummy and too buddy-buddy with God. And you, you have a God, but he's an inept God. He's not an all-powerful God, an all-majestic God. And so you need both of those together. You need this majestic, all-powerful, mighty, sovereign God who has also drawn near. And then you can read words like, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And you don't have to cower. You don't have to run from him. But you can run to him because you know that this God... This God, who is all of that, has drawn near and made a way for righteousness not to terrorize us, but to be our hope. His, his righteousness is our hope, that he has made a way. He has provided a sacrifice. He has become the sacrifice himself so that he can continue to be righteous and all that he is and majestic and forgive our sin. You see, you need the full revelation of all of that to fully appreciate the gospel, to to fully live out this faith and to have the joy, the joy that we've talked about many times, the joy that the text that we read this morning talks about, that, that through Abraham, God is going to bless the nations. Or the joy that John talked about when he talked about the God and the fact that he had touched this God, that, that this this God who was from the beginning, this majestic, transcendent God who has drawn near, who we've touched, who we've conversed with, who we've lived with. All of that together. And he says that that you might have joy. I tell you about this God that you might have joy. That you might have joy. That our joy might be full. And, And I contend to you, unless you have both of those revelations of God, and, and you have them really without a division. I mean, simultaneous revelation. There's certainly old and new, but it's just one story of who God is. Your joy won't be as full as it should be. It won't be as full. It won't be vibrant. It, it won't be a rest in your soul. And so this morning I say to you, I, I commend to you the God of the Old Testament. That's why we're spending time in Advent, in the Old Testament, why we're doing some things in, in Sunday school, my Sunday school class. It's why we're, on Wednesday night, the men are doing some of those studies from the Old Testament to, to give us the full revelation of who God is. Now, our text this morning, I want you to go there with me in John, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 12. It's another promise, a promise made to Abraham. Abraham, interestingly, is a is an important figure in in many um, world religions. Christianity, certainly in Judaism, he's central to Judaism, to, to the Islamic faith. Abraham is a prominent place. He's talked about. But the promise here given to Abraham, the revelation of God in the scripture and Abraham, is a key point to understand. A key understanding of this helps you to put the testaments together. Helps you to have a a, a unity of both the old and the new together. And listen again to the scripture. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And then this, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a crucial promise in the Old Testament. A crucial promise to understand that all the nations are going to be blessed through Abraham. So there's a couple of questions that I think we we just should ask ourselves as we see a text like that. Two questions, really. How, how does this blessing come? How, how is it that what God is going to do for Abraham is going to bless all the nations of the earth? And secondly, what is that blessing? How is it going to happen? And what is it? I just want to simply this morning lay those out. And then we're going to come to the table. And it all centers in what this table represents. First of all, it's important to see, I think, in there, it's something God is going to do. That's, that's what the story of Abraham, we're not going to go through all the story of Abraham, but that's what the story of Abraham in the Bible is for, to show us that it's something God is going to do. God is going to do it. He is going to bless Abraham. He's going to do something for Abraham that was impossible for Abraham to do himself. And that is he's going to give him a son. His, his wife was, was well beyond childbearing age. Abraham didn't have a son. God says, I'm going to give you a son. And through him, all the nations are going to be blessed. Through his seed, all the nations are going to be blessed. Well, Abraham takes the promise. He waits a while and then he gets impatient. And what's the impatience about? The impatience of Abraham is about, again, God showing, I'm going to do this. You're not going to do this. This is not something you can do, Abraham. It's something only I can do. And you know the story. The Abraham goes out and takes his maidservant. In fact, his wife tells him to take his maidservant and to lay with her so that he can have a son. And in fact, he does have a son. But God says, that's not the way, Abraham. That's, that's not where the blessing is going to come from. That's not how it's going to happen. Because if it happened that way, it would be you. And the way it's going to happen here is it's going to be me. Because you go back to the text, it says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. I will do it. The emphasis is God is going to do it. He is going to do it. He is the initiator. All through the Old Testament, God is the initiator. He's the one who comes. It's it's carried over in the New Testament. How, how does it happen? God draws near to us. God, 2,000 some years ago, enters in to be fully man along with being fully God. He's the initiator. We always have to see that the, the thing that the Old Testament and New Testament alike teaches is that God is the initiator. He's the one who comes to us. That's part of the how. But it goes beyond that. And I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. And we want to look there because this is where it carries over into the New Testament, if you have your Bibles. Here, the story out of the Old Testament is picked up in the New Testament, the story of Abraham. And it's here where we see more of the how, and then we see what that blessing really is. The how of the blessing and literally what it is. 
Pick up the reading, if you will, in verse 7 of chapter 3, if you have your Bibles or else listen. It says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So here we, we have the same promise that came out of Genesis, carried over into the New Testament in the writings of Paul. And he reiterates the fact that all the nations are going to be blessed through Abraham. So three things. First of all, I've said one of them. One of them is that God is going to do this. The blessing is going to come from God. That's when we talk about what it is. What is this blessing? It's going to come from God. Secondly, it is rooted in the gospel. This blessing that it talks about way back in the book of Genesis, way back there, doesn't use the word gospel. He doesn't tell Abraham, here's the gospel, Abraham. Through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. He doesn't do that. We don't have that anywhere in the Old Testament. The only place we hear the word gospel in, in those terms or the word is in the New Testament. But if you look here, the writer of Galatians, he, he was he was seeing all of this as one story. Look what he says. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So what came to Abraham was a promise of the gospel, of the good news. Now we know that good news centers in Christ, Jesus Christ, and what this table represents. Abraham didn't know about Jesus Christ back there. But the writer of Galatians says, Abraham was preached the gospel. You see, it's all one story. You need all of the revelation to fully grasp it and the full weight of it to fall upon us. He preached the gospel. The, the what is it? What is this blessing? It centers in the promises of the gospel. Promises of the gospel. And so what are the promises of the gospel? What are they? Look in the text again in Galatians. It says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. You begin to see the gospel, the gospel, the promises of the gospel, that he would justify the Gentiles by faith. Justify. What's it mean to justify? That, that God would reconcile the Gentiles to himself. That he would, he would raise up a way in which their sins could be dealt with. The thing that separated them from God could be dealt with. So the promises that were spoken to Abraham, the, the, the blessing that's going to come to the nations through Abraham is the blessing of Justification, the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of a way that our sin can be cared for. Our sin doesn't have to be held against us. God will do something about it. That's what the blessing is. The the blessing that's to come to the nations is that. And God promised it way back in the Old Testament, way back in the beginning of Genesis. He preached the gospel. He began to preach it. And you see, now again, as you think about it, as you look at the Old Testament, 
through the lens of the new. And, and one of the ways to take the Old Testament, sometimes you pick it up and you can't fully understand it, and there's certainly hard parts of the Old Testament. They're not always easy. I don't want, I don't want to say it's just all easy sometimes. But it is much easier if you look through the lens of Christ. If you, if you go to the Old Testament and you try to find pictures of Christ, promises about Christ or pictures of Christ, you, you begin to understand the Old Testament because that's all that it is. It, it is. it is promises about him or pictures to, to, to show what he's going to be like. Uh, it's pictures and it's promises about him. All the promises are yes in him. And, and so back in that early time when God came to Abraham and he made the promise, what he did is he made the promise of the gospel. He made the promise that he was going to forgive the sins of all those who would trust him to do it. All those who would look to him and to his provision. Old Testament people were saved by looking ahead to the promise. They didn't understand it. It ultimately rested in Christ and his work. But they were, they were saved. Their mercy was given to them as they look forward and trusted. Now we look back to it. And it all centers in Christ. As we come to the table this morning, I want to, to take you to one more text that begins to, to show how God justifies us. How does that happen? How does, how does God justify the Gentiles? How does he justify them and therefore bring the blessing? Read on in the text. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. And then it goes on to say this, Christ redeemed us from the curse. What's the curse? The curse of the law. The curse of of us breaking the law, the curse of our sin because we've not fully lived it. The curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And then it says, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. How does that promise come to us? How do we appropriate it? We appropriate it by looking to Christ, the one who became a curse for us, the one who took the curse upon himself, the curse of our sin, the curse of what, what was justifiably something that needed to be punished. And Christ took it. And, and if we are in Christ, if we look to him, and the Bible in many places talks about being in Christ, if we are in Christ, remember we went back to the ark a little bit, we talked about that Noah and his family went into the ark and God shut the doors of the ark? Well, here's the picture. Here's what it's pointing. It's pointing to Christ. He's the ark of God. And if we go into Christ, if we are in him by faith, if we're in him, it means to be in him and trust his work for us. Trust the fact that he became a curse so we don't have to. All that that means to to cast our hope in him and his work and the fact that he finished it to go into Christ, the ark of God, 
we're safe. And it goes on beyond that to connect back to the Old Testament. It, 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 it shows us that Abraham, it says, Abraham's line, the promise in the Old Testament, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And in that son, which was the blessing that God was going to give to Abraham, was a son Isaac. In that son, all the nations will be blessed. How does it happen? Here it is. Lineage. Remember, I don't want to lose you here, but remember there's a shoot of the stump of Jesse that came up and out of that came Christ. Okay? You see the, the lineage of that? That teaches a lineage that's going to happen. That God is going to have a king on the throne who's going to live forever out of Jesse's line. Well, now take that same picture here. Abraham is promised a blessing, which is Isaac, his son, that God is going to give him. God is going to do that work. He's going to raise up Isaac, give Abraham a son. And in the the lineage of Isaac, as you go down through history, that's why we need the revelation of the Old Testament. As you get to the end of that, Christ is in that line. Christ is in that seed, if you will, all the way. And therefore, as, as we are in Christ... You see, as we walk into him as the ark of God, we're in Christ. We are in all of that line going back up to Isaac and ultimately to Abram. So if we're in Christ, we're in Abraham. And so all of the promises that were given to Abraham, the promise that all the nations will be blessed, that's the blessing that we get connected to the promise of Abraham as believers. The promise of blessing, the promise of of forgiveness, the promise that Christ justifies us and that we don't have to anymore be afraid of this transcendent, majestic, holy God in the sense of cowering kind of fear because he has come near to us in his Son. And and if we're in the Son, we are in all the promises of God. That's what the table speaks. It takes multitudes of things it speaks to us this morning, but it speaks to us joy. It speaks to us wonderful joy. It speaks to us that our joy should be full in the understanding of all of that this morning. We're going to come to the table. In your bulletin this morning is, a, is an insert that gives the invitation for our communion time. And certainly, as, as we continue to have new people come into our midst and certainly have visitors in our midst from time to time and periodically, um, we always have this invitation. We have open communion. You are welcome to come to this table and to, to eat of this table this morning, but we would ask that you live under this invitation, that you reflectively live under this invitation and understand the invitation that's given for it. And we also would acknowledge this morning is if you come from a different tradition or this is all new to you and you don't understand it, as the plates come and as the cups come by you this morning, you're welcome to pass those by. I've been in circumstances and in places and in churches that I've worshipped where I didn't fully understand all that they would have spoke of this table and how they would see the table and times when I've let, let it pass by me, even as a pastor, I just didn't understand it and understand exact their particular presentation of it. And so we understand that this morning. If you're visiting or new among us, uh, you're welcome to just let those pass to the next person this morning. But we're going to come.
and eat and eat and rest that our joy might be full this morning in all that this table represents. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning to this table. We come to you this morning to this table in the promise that was given to Abraham, the promise that in him all the nations will be blessed. And and we are reaping the fruit of that blessing this morning here in this particular locality in, 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 in this particular year, in this particular sanctuary this morning. Lord, that promise is, is spoken to us who understand the meaning of this table and eat of, of what it represents to us here this morning. We are grateful for that blessing. We are grateful this morning that, that we can know that our sin will not be held against us. We can know that, that though you are a righteous and holy and perfect God and you judge in righteousness that, that Christ has provided a righteousness for us that we can rest in and, and not have to cower in light of all of that. Not have to run away, but but come. So, Father, we pray you'll strengthen us this morning at this table. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for those to come this morning who are going to help us to serve, and uh, we'll partake together. The elements will come to you, and we'd like for you to hold them. We'll partake of them together. The body of our Lord represents that became a curse for us. It was broken on the tree. Torn for you 
eat and remember the wounds that heal, the death that brings us life. Paid the price to make us one. So we share in this bread of life, and we drink of His sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of love around the table of the King. Since the one who became a curse for us and for all who trust in his work, take and eat is a declaration of that this morning. Jesus declared that this was the cup of the new covenant in his blood the night before he was crucified as they sat there in that upper room. And he told us that we're to take this and to drink in remembrance of him until he comes again. Remembrance of all that he's done. Again, take and hold it and we'll partake together. every stain of sin shed for you. Drink and remember He drained death's cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of grace around the table of the and faith we rise to respond and to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ as 
As you look at the cup this morning, as you contemplate the cup, the reason that you hold it in your hand this morning is because of thousands of years ago a promise was made, a promise that God made that through Abraham and what he was going to do for Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Blessed to hear the good news of Christ and to hear the invitation to embrace Christ and receive him, enter into him in his life. Let him be their ark of safety. Take and drink in light of all of that and be grateful. Father, it is an overwhelming thing to think that that we gather here and stand here now because of a promise you made. We are grateful, Lord, that 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 blessing has come and spread to the nations, spread to us. And we affirm here this morning that that is where our hope rests, in that promise and the fulfillment of that promise. Your Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived and died and rose again that he might take the curse for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in God's peace.